in January. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. Okay, everybody, we're live streaming now. Okay. Welcome to What the F is Going On in Latin America and the Caribbean, Code Pink's weekly YouTube program of hot news out of the region. In partnership with Friends of Latin America, Massachusetts Peace Action, and Task Force on the Americas, we broadcast every Wednesday at 4.30 p.m. Pacific, 7.30 p.m. Eastern on Code Pink YouTube Live. Tonight, I am speaking with you live from Managua, Nicaragua, where President Daniel Ortega won re-election on Sunday, November 7. Tonight's episode will be a conversation among delegates who traveled to Nicaragua in October to observe conditions prior to Election Day and those that were on the ground in Nicaragua on Election Day, including myself. Guests tonight include... Yoav Elenevsky, Latin America Working Group of Mass Peace Action. Uh, Mass Peace Action is a broadcasting partner of this program. Um, Stan Smith joins us from Chicago, from the Chicago Alba Solidarity. And Michelle Munjanaru uh, joins us from New York City. She uh, was here on November 7, a company as a, an election accompanier and a member of the Friends of the ATC delegation. She is an international solidarity organizer living in New York City, and her volunteer work is with PACOA. So welcome, everyone. I'm really excited to have this conversation tonight. We have so much important things to share with our audience. So um, I want to... Um, why don't each of you say hello so our audience can can see you and then um, we'll start the conversation perhaps with Michelle and myself what we um, what we witnessed on on Sunday the 7th. So you all why don't you say hello Stan and then Michelle and Michelle you and I can start. <laughs> yeah. Hello everybody I'm glad you can join us uh, I'm sure that we all want to know what is actually happened in Nicaragua, and I think that uh, today we will be able to learn quite a bit about the election day and in general what is happening in Nicaragua. So welcome everybody. Uh, yes, uh, we were uh, together in Nicaragua last month, beginning of last month, just coming back a month ago today. So beginning of October till today. Hi everyone, my name is Michelle and um, I was honored to be in Nicaragua for the first time, but uh, you know, a long time uh, supporter of the work of um, the ATC and also um, very much interested in the process. So it was great to be able to see that in person. So I think, you know, we have a real opportunity this evening to share with um, the audience um, all those intangible things that lead up to any election day in any country that Yoav and Stan witnessed um, last month here in Nicaragua. And Michelle and I um, have been here since Wednesday, well, me since the 31st of October. Michelle, you came in Wednesday or Thursday, I believe. And so, um, so let's start. Um, let's start with what we saw on seven on, on the seventh. So why don't why don't you go ahead, Michelle, and share with us 
what your experience was like, where you went, what part of the country you observed in, and what, and the composition of your delegation too, because you traveled with a lot of young people. Yes, thank you so much, Terry. Um, I think this is a great place to start. Um, I traveled with the Friends of the ATC. ATC is an acronym for the Asociación de los Trabajadores del Campo, which is the Rural Workers Association of Nicaragua. It was started in the 70s and it became formally integrated in the 78 um, and was there present during the Sandinista Revolution. Um, throughout the 80s, it performed a role uh, to support peasants during land reform and under the neoliberal period worked to continue to, to protect the gains of land reform and started the international peasant movement La Via Campesina. My uh, delegation was a robust group of 12 North Americans. Um, we came from all over and um, we did have some longtime supporters of the Sandinista Popular Revolution, as well as people who were very new to the revolution in Nicaragua. Uh, we were also joined by relatives by sorry representatives of Cloc via Campesina from Honduras, the Dominican Republic, and Nicaragua and Venezuela. So it was really amazing to be joined by these groups and kind of get a window into the regional integration that is happening at all times. Um, Terry, so I will move on to uh, what I saw on election day. Uh, we our delegation was accredited and was able to observe in Granada which is a historically conservative district um, within Nicaragua um, and uh, also the arts and cultural center. So um, a very, very beautiful old town. Um, and uh, that is where we observed. So we've observed four different voting locations throughout Granada. Um, and in Nicaragua, people have a tradition of voting early because the sun does get super hot. So when we were visiting these voting locations between 7 and 11.30, let's say, um, almost half of the voting rolls at these locations had already voted. Um, Nicaraguans are very organized and they had turned out to vote and they planned on voting um, throughout the day. Um, I saw a process that was very well organized, took place in ultimate tranquility um, and was respective of, of COVID protocols to protect everyone. Um, and the final thing I'd say about this is um, there were there was no like attempt to turn people away from voting, which as we have seen several times in the United States over the past few years, that people are actively trying to make sure people don't vote, especially in popular neighborhoods, especially in in areas where black and brown people live. Um, there was a really great emphasis to include people with disabilities um, and make sure people knew what the process was to vote. Um, and there were no lines because there were enough voting centers throughout the country. And within a voting center, there were like 11 or more juntos, which is a voting table or, or like mesa de votación. So um, it was very well organized um, and something that I think more of us um, should learn more about. You know, I am. Um... So I'll just piggyback on, on, on Michelle's experience. I was, um, uh, my delegation was a delegation of six people. We were from the United States and Canada and we represented several organizations, Code Pink, Task Force on the Americas, PACOA, which Michelle is also affiliated with. And um, we were sent to um, John Thales, which is about a two and a half, three mile, three hour drive. Um, from Managua, it's on the other side of the lake. And what we witnessed, we also were sent to four polling centers on Sunday the 7th. 
And um, what we witnessed was one, I will say, Nicaragua votes on Sunday. It's not a work day. Everybody can participate. They're home. Now, one of the things with Sunday, and this is not, this is pretty cultural throughout um, Latin America and the Caribbean. Sunday is family day. Uh, and Sunday for many, many people is a day to go to worship. So as, as Michelle saw, we saw as well, the polls were very busy when they opened. They opened at 7 a.m. The ones, and um, then it slowed down. So if you happened to visit a polling center, say at noontime, it was probably very light traffic. And then if you were to go back at four o'clock in the afternoon, five o'clock closer to closing, you would see, you know, another rush of voters. That, in my personal experience, um, observing elections in El Salvador, Honduras, uh, Venezuela, and other countries as well, is pretty typical voter behavior. And on, but I will emphasize the Sunday. You do not have to take off work. You do not have to call in sick. You are home already and you can go. And in many cases, you can simply walk to your polling center. They're that close. The polling center, the mesas, um, they do call them podiums here, the actual tables that you vote at, serve 250, no more than 400 voters. So each table within a polling center serves no more than 400. The largest polling center we went to was at UNAM, the Autonomous University. And I think there were, there were 13 rooms and then each room had um, up to six tables in it. So that was a very large polling center. I think that all of you would be surprised watching at the technology, the mix of technology and the mix of manual voting. And it was very, very effective. So when people, uh, when they, when, when citizens here in Nicaragua get their cedula, they are automatically registered to vote. You do not have to make any special uh, sort of trip to, you know, your fire station, your post office. You do not have to go and make any sort of special trip or errand to get yourself registered to vote. You are a registered voter when you get your cedula. That's an uh, ID card, right? Your ID. That's correct. Yes. Thank you. Um, your state ID card, which you use for the healthcare system and all the state programs. And that again is a common practice in, in many countries throughout Latin America. When you, uh, mid-August um, at each polling center, the rolls were posted. It was a paper printout of all the people registered and assigned to a specific polling center. And you had until September 8th, to verify that you were um, assigned to a polling center and that it was the correct polling center. So you had about a month to correct any errors in, your, in where you, you could vote. Then when you showed up to the polling center on November 7, there was um, a check-in table set up, all electronic. Um, there are you know, multiple people assisting I think at one point we had at one center, I saw up to six people. So when you came into the polling center, your cedula, your ID card was scanned. And that is also your, your voter ID card. And so immediately the polling center could tell that you had a verified 
uh, voter ID card, that you were at the correct polling center, and then they could tell you what mesa or what room to go in. Very, very efficient, very accurate. The voting itself within the mesas is paper ballot with, you know, you know, you hand mark what you want. I think the longest we saw uh, it takes somebody to vote was about eight minutes. And that was, you know, when the polling center opened at seven with, um, you know, with a line waiting to get in. And then of course it slowed down over the course of the morning, picked back up later in the day. So it was a nice mix of technology. I mean, the, the ridiculousness of what we all, um, wit what we all go through in the States, all the the special errands you have to run to get yourself registered. And when you show up at the polling center, you know, it's, there it's there's no modern technology you you sign you find your name on a list and you sign and it was just this was very very impressive and and very effective and um and no one had to 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 wait for hours to vote even though the lines were quite long early in the morning i will also say something really wonderful that we witnessed was one the um anyone that works in a government facility, you work with, say, the foreign ministry, or you work with the national police, or you're a fireman. And if you are on assignment working somewhere away from your assigned polling center, you are allowed to register that day at the location you're working, and you can vote. You do not have to go home to vote if you're, you know, You've been assigned, you're a police officer and you're a military person and you've been assigned to like Billway and, you're, and your home is in Managua, your polling center is in Managua. You can vote where you have actually been assigned to work. And so it's, it, they're, they're the, the people are really included in the electoral process, in the voting process. And the participation is really, really uh, encouraged. People are proud to vote. The biggest thing that we saw, and Michelle could probably attest to this as well, it was a pretty common um, uh, experience. One, the general overall peacefulness throughout the country. And two, voter enthusiasm where we went was very high and the participation was very high. And um, so that was all very, uh, very encouraging to see, but specifically how calm it was, how peaceful it was, and people were really, really pleased about that. And that allowed for the high, I believe, that allowed for the high voter turnout that, that we saw. I, and I think I would close by saying, it's really, really important for our North American, particularly our US audience watching tonight, is to understand that despite the White House communication that came out Sunday night, very, very aggressive, warmongering words from the White House Sunday night, the people here voted for the government they wanted. It's not about what the United States wants um, in the presidential palace in this country. This is about what the Nicaraguan people want. And they voted principally for a growing economy that the current government has uh, has developed this project that's that's benefiting everyone. And Yoav can talk more about that because I know Yoav, that was one of the things you were most excited about witnessing in October on your trip. And they voted for, for to continue the economic development that the current government 
and re-elected government has proposed. They voted for peace and they voted to preserve their national sovereignty. And I cannot say enough about that. And Nicaragua is not the only country voting and fighting to preserve their national sovereignty. Um, so I think those were, for me personally, those were the most profound things that we experienced on our, on our trip. So why don't we go to, uh, is there anything else you want to add, Michelle? Um, I just want to, you know, affirm what Terry said, that you cannot have any sort of revolutionary movement without national sovereignty. Um, and the important thing about Nicaragua's land reform was effected during the 80s in that revolution. And is that is the basis of the current success of the Nicaraguan, pop, this popular Sandinista revolution, that they have reached almost 100 percent by 2026 food sovereignty. That's was coup that was critical to helping overcome the coup in 2018. Um, and is the basis of, of everything else that comes out of Nicaragua. So um, to me, that was very important to see that this is an advanced revolution and that the Sandinistas are disciplined um, and the election results definitely de demonstrate the work they've done. Stan, so, I think you know, the, oh no, you know, there's one, there's one thing that, that I think I, we should all just mention here is that the, the, the final week run up to election day on the 7th, we saw a couple things happen. We saw um, a lot of Sandinista activists th uh, pulled off uh, social media, Twitter and Facebook. We saw uh, the US House of Representatives pass the Renaissance Act, that very strong sanctions regime act. It has already passed um, the Senate, it has now passed, and it passed the House on Wednesday. So there's some defense, and then we saw the White House statement on Sunday night. So some really, really strong, what could be interpreted as electoral interference or messages coming from the United States to perhaps influence voter turnout and the way people uh, would vote on Sunday. It didn't work, but it was definitely there. So I'm sorry, Yawab, I just really, uh, go ahead. I Because yeah. <laughs> that I is part of the mix that I saw having arrived yeah. on the 31st of October. Yeah. Yes. I wanted to ask Stan, because I think that when we were in Nicaragua in October, we expected the Sandinista to win big. And indeed, they won by 76%. Uh, we need to remember also that, uh, and Stan, we expected this result, and we expected also high participation by the Nicaraguans. As a matter of fact, 65% of the eligible uh, voters, not registered, eligible, is a big difference, participated right. yes. in, the, in, yes. in the elections. And Stan, we were also not surprised to hear the poisonous viciousness, the lies that are portrayed by the US government and the mainstream media. Why we were not surprised about these two phenomena? Why we are not surprised after coming back from Nicaragua? The success of the Sandinista on one hand and the viciousness of the attack against the Sandinista after the elections. You're asking me? Or yes. yes. <laughs> uh, I'm not surprised because uh, you can kind of tell when some country is actually putting their national sovereignty and their national development as a priority over US interests 
That's when the U.S. media and U.S. government starts attacking them as being totalitarian and anti-democratic. And uh, that's how first I got interested in Nicaragua, because like I, for many years till 2018, I didn't pay much attention to Nicaragua. Then I start seeing like daily attacks on the government. So I was like, well, they must be doing something good there or else the U.S. wouldn't be constantly attacking them all the time. And we did learn a lot there about all the developments that the government has done in the last 14 years. It's like they instituted a real build back better program that was not just empty talk, but they did it. And I can't, I was just, there's one statistics that I find kind of shocking when I was there in terms of uh, illiteracy that in 1979, when they first came to power, illiteracy was 50%. And by 1990, when they lost power, it was down to 10%. And then the neoliberal pro-US government, pro-US corporation, pro-big business governments came in for 16 years. And illiteracy went up from 10% to 30% in just 16 years which is, it's amazing. I mean, I can uh, think, well, a neoliberal comes in, government comes in and it cuts social services. Well, yeah, then infant mortality will go up. How you think of that? Like you get a lot of problem, and poverty will go up, but I think that illiteracy will go up so rapidly in such a short period of time. That's quite amazing. Now <laughs> illiteracy is only 4%. So it's just summarizing all the different statistics that we learned that all the benefits that the people have got from the government in the last 14 years, well, not the government, that they people did it themselves. It's obvious why people are gonna to vote to continue. And it's gonna be obvious why they don't wanna go back to this kind of neoliberal government where they had ended up with 30% illiteracy. And I was also, I think, surprised, well, not surprised, I mean, even in the U.S., they make up stories about, uh, I mean, I think in 2016, in the U.S. election, they just made up stories about how Russia got Putin, I mean, got Trump in the office. 2020, Trump made up stories about how the election was stolen here. Now the U.S. leaders are doing it in this country. So, you know, they do it all the time and they do it in Nicaragua. They're going to do it in Venezuela next month. They just make up, just imagine, I don't know, just any kind of wild stories, just like they did in 2018, where they paid people who went and killed Sandinista supporters. And then they said, oh, Daniel Ortega did all this. If I don't want to go on to, I'll let you go in. Can I, do, I, I think just to clarify with the audience, what, um, what, Stan, what you're talking about is when is is when the state was was investing in public education and during the neoliberal years that went away, education was privatized as were many, many institutions, infrastructure and uh, um, facilities. And then when um, the Santa, the FSLN came back into power in 2007, things were were run by the state again. And so that once that neoliberal system, that privatization of everything does not benefit the people. We saw 
illiteracy dropped to 10% once it was all state managed state where there's a lot of state investment. And then once it was, and then it was privatized, rose to 30%. And now it's dropped dramatically again with the state investing in public education. So that, and I agree with you. I think that's a, you know, and not just education, but healthcare, roads, medical clinics, all of those things are, uh, are state investment and made available to the, uh, almost the majority. You know, it's a, it's a system that's yeah. servicing the vast majority of the population. And Yoav, that's something yeah. that you had mentioned to me. Yeah, well, I, I, there are plenty of uh, social and economic uh, measures that we can cite to demonstrate the, the amazing achievement of the, of the Nicaraguan people under the leadership of the Sandinista in terms of health, education, uh, life expectancy, electricity, running water, and so on. But I would like also to, to, to bring the issue that the, we hear in the media and the, and the US government are questioning uh, uh, the uh, commitment to democracy in, in Nicaragua and the Sandinista commitment to, to democracy. And I think it's actually amazing because the Sandinista demonstrated their commitment to democracy since they organized the first democratic election in the history of Nicaragua in 1979, after the, the successful uprising against the Somoza dictatorship that was put in place, supplied and so on by the United States. Then since 84, there were seven general elections in Nicaragua. The right-wing parties won three of these elections the Sandinista won four of these elections. The Sandinista party demonstrated whether they are in government or whether they are in opposition as opposition party, the National Assembly, their commitment to democracy. They accepted the result of the 1990 election in spite of the fact that this election was held under the, under the gun. The United States made it absolutely clear that the war against Nicaragua, against the Sandinista will continue if the Sandinista, if the Nicaraguan do not continue to vote for the Sandinista, the war will continue and the blockade will continue. In spite of that, the Sandinista respected the, the election results and promised to Violeta Chamorro, who became president, that they will cooperate with her and make sure there is a smooth transition. So, I think that in this sense, one can say they have proven, the Sandinists have proven their commitment to democracy. The other issue is I think we should remember is it is amazing that the United States is questioning the legitimacy of the election and the election process in, in Nicaragua. Here in this country where we have millions of people that for some reason or other cannot vote, whether they are in prisons, whether they are aliens or whether they have this card or that kind of a card, millions of people that cannot vote. And moreover, where in the United States more than 50%, for example, of Republicans today think the election in, in 2020 was stolen. So to, for the US government to question incorrectly the commitment of the Sandinista to, to democracy is, 
I think is, is quite ironic. The last thing I want to mention in terms of the credibility of the United States government to criticize the Sardanista is remember in 1986, the international court found the United States uh, a, in violation of international law by attacking the Sandinistas, by training, arming, equipment, and financing, supplying the Contra forces. In 1984, mining Nicaraguan harbors, uh, attacking oil facilities, and violating Nicaragua's airspace. This is a war waged by the US government against the Sandinista. So when we hear the current lies about what is happening in Nicaragua, we need to look at the wider context of the long history, as a matter of fact, almost 200 years of United States military, political, and economic intervention in Nicaragua. I think it's time for us to respect the right of the, of the Nicaraguan people for self-determination and look at their history of resistance. And I think by voting now with 76% of support to the Sandinista, the Nicaraguan people are sending a message. They know that the United States is gonna attack them, increase their attacks against them. But in spite of it, they voted for the Sandinista. It shows this, the high spirit, uh, as, you, as both uh, Terry and Michelle, you mentioned the, the, the idea of the importance of self-determination for the Nicaraguan people. I would also say in what I had read back in 1990 that the US spent more money trying to influence per person in Nicaragua. They spent more money trying to influence their vote in Nicaragua than they did on the American people in their presidential election, which was in 1988. That's wow. like gross interference by the US in that election. And when Nicaragua said this year, we're not gonna allow that kind of stuff now, you're not gonna, these opposition people are not gonna be permitted to, uh, they're not gonna get away with taking money from the US government to try to influence the election. We're gonna stop that from happening. We're not gonna let it have that repeated again. Then they say, oh, you're trying to lock all these people up in prison, just to, you're trying to lock up your opposition for no reason. But think back, that's, they learned in 1990 that don't let that happen again. And they're doing that now. I think that people should be glad. I wish they'd done that in 1990. People should be glad that Nicaragua was doing that now rather than people who are, think they're progressive complaining about uh, Nicaragua is uh, arresting these people for being on U.S. payroll. You all, there's two things that, that you said that I'd like to um, expand on. One, um, these, you know, this accelerating attack on Nicaragua. It's a, you know, it's a media narrative. It's now, you know, a, 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 a sanctions uh, law passed by the Senate and the House. And 
this is going to be, and, and I've had a number of people um, last weekend, uh, since I arrived on the 31st through today, say you know, they are fully expecting an economic war. They are fully, fully expecting the United States to come after them hard and fast and destroy the economy. And so for the audience, this is modern day warfare. You know, we're not seeing boots on the ground. We're not seeing bombs dropped on countries, and some we are, but this is gonna be, you know, an, a, a full out war to destroy the economy of Nicaragua. A couple of things that are gonna make it difficult for the US to succeed in that is food and energy sovereignty in this country. Both are very high. Food sovereignty is uh, 90, I wanna say 94, 96% and, uh, and energy sovereignty specifically renewables is about 75%, I believe. So it's gonna be a little different um, for the United States here. And also the Nicaraguan people really do know how to fight. You know, they're, 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 they're politically savvy and they have a very strong constitution and they clearly understand um, what's going to be coming at them. So it, it's going to be, it's not going to be a simple slam dunk for the United States should this become a full-blown hybrid war. Um, also, before we start, before we went live, just uh, for our audience, Joab, you were talking to the three of us about uh, the the uh, the election, the results, the statistics of the results. You have the final results that were uh, published Tuesday. Do you want to share those with the audience? Sure. Uh, so this report was uh, made on Tuesday. The election was so this was the ninth, uh, with ninety-seven point seven four percent of the vote counted. Uh, as I said, with the participation of 65% of the popula or eligible population to vote. Uh, the FSLN uh, was part of an alliance. It is called the Nicaragua uh, Triunfa Alliance. Uh, they received uh, this alliance 75.92% uh, of the vote, followed by the Liberal Constitutional Party, PLC, 14.15%. Camino Cristiano CCN 3.3%, the Nicaragua Liberal Alliance ALN 3.15%, the Alliance for the Republic APRE 1.78%, the Liberal Independent Party 1.70%. Um, there were uh, uh, 13,155 voting station uh, that reported accounted for 2.8 uh, 2,860,000 voters that participate in the election. I just want to add one more thing about the issue of democracy because I think that one cannot separate freedom from democracy. And in Nicaragua, the commitment to freedom is I found it from just being there for 10 days is, is fundamental. But the freedom also means the freedom from hunger, the freedom from worrying about healthcare, the, the freedom to have electricity, the freedom to have education. Democracy wow. has little meaning without this type of freedom. The freedom to open a small business, the government will help you to, to, to open a small business. Especially women. 
and women, exactly. women small business owners. Right. So there is a deeper sense here, a deeper sense of commitment to democracy, not just setting up an election once in five years. Uh, no, it's a quality of life issue. Yes. It's a quality of life project for the government. <laughs> yeah. Yes. For, for um, everyone, not just a specific demographic, for everyone. I, and I also think it's maybe for people like us in the United States and maybe in the West in general, it's hard to imagine that there can be a government that is actually working to the benefit of the, of, of the, of the popular sectors of society. I mean, look what happened with Stan. You mentioned the, what is it called? Build better, be better, this, 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 this. Yeah. Build back better, yeah, yeah. President Biden's project. It yeah. starts with, who knows how many trillions of dollars that ended up with 1.5 trillion and giving tax breaks to the rich. So it's hard for us to maybe to imagine a situation where voters will vote 70% for the, for, for the leading party in the country, that leading the country in such a way. So Michelle, you, you wanted to make a comment. Yeah, I just was, um, I totally agree with what Yoav has shared. Um, I think those are all great points. Um, as President Ortega said during his address on the 45th anniversary of Carlos Fonseca's death, um, this was not a free election because Nicaraguans had to vote with a gun held to their head. And that has been every election since the Sandinista revolution has taken place. Um, an I did, external gun to their head. Ex <laughs> yes, an external with an gun American to gun to their head, yeah. as, <laughs> as we all know. I'm sorry, that was clear to me. Um, but uh, I just wanted okay. to reflect on something Stan mentioned, um, which is something I had felt before, but when I was in country, I kind of was able to resolve um, some of my feelings about it. Yes, it was a shame that uh, the Sandinistas um, lost in the election of 1990. But um, as you mentioned, the amount of money that was pumped into that election, $50 million USD. That is the most the US has ever spent on one election ever. And we now bulk at the fact that, uh, you know, outsiders bulk at the fact that, you know, the US has funneled so much money through the NED and USAID into Nicaragua. Those make a difference. Um, and so I just want to say Nicaragua is a place that the U.S. really cares a lot about controlling. Um, and then reflecting on stages of revolution, the Sandinista revolution is so strong today because it's learned from the different stages of the past. While they affected land reform in the, in the 80s, and that was really, you know, FSLN led, in the 90s, popular movements really had to play a role. I met with the women at the Santa Julia um, community, which is which hosts the uh, Gloria Quintanilla Cooperative, led by women. They were the ones who protected land reform under the neoliberal government. Um, and so now you have both a strong frente and then you also have a popular movement willing to back it up. This revolution is on stronger ground than ever, especially having learned from um, the, what happened in 2018. Um, so I think, you know, this is, this is a process that is resolving its contradictions and is getting stronger um, every day. I'm so glad you mentioned that because um, as Yoav and I have known, uh, you, know, broad, uh, you know, as broadcast partners for this program, this is a theme, a recurring theme, Yoav, correct? Where we, we talk about this need to understand, build and develop a movement. 
having a party come out, a political party coming out of a movement so that whether or not your party is in power, it still has a base and ground power within communities on the ground throughout the country so that you can still push for, for the programs and the, and the policies that you want and, and, you know, and campaign yourself back, back into office. But that's so, so important for there to be a movement underneath the political party. And Bolivia being probably the most stark um, example of that, the, the MAS being out of party with the, being out of power with the coup in, in uh, 2019, October of 2019, but still being so strong among the people throughout the country, you know, got themselves back into office in a constitutional matter, you know, through elections, got themselves back in, into office. So that, I'm really glad you brought that up, Michelle. This is probably, for me personally, probably the second most important country, most successful example of a movement uh, under, you know, a, a party. And um, it, the, it's significant. In the last five minutes before we close, <laughs> we should maybe mention one thing that the Renaissance Act is very, very bad. It's a, it's, it, it will hurt the, it will hurt a, a close to 40% of the Nicaraguan population because the, the, the sanctions are against members of the Sandinistas party and their families. It's accelerating the, the, uh, the, the war against uh, uh, Nicaragua. Stan, what are we do? What are we going to do about it? How are we going to react? What will be our part in the solidarity movement? How can we resist it and what can we do? Yes, I think uh, Biden signed that today, I believe. I think I'm uh, reading on the Nicaragua uh, Google Groups list. Uh, one thing that we can do and one thing that this uh, Nicaragua groups are doing in the United States is continually writing articles to the media, getting an alternate media to get out a more accurate view on what's going on in Nicaragua. But I know from working on the, the blockade on Cuba and the blockade on Venezuela, it's not very easy to get other people involved in a movement. It's not involved U.S. troops on the ground in another country. And they can, they're using economic warfare. Is, it's harder to get people involved in um, they don't see it and they don't, it doesn't affect them. So it's a big problem. Well, silent. It's silent. It's, it's, it's an out of sight, out of mind, silent um, killer. I, mean, I don't know, you know, and that, and it, to me personally, it may, that this type of warfare makes it more insidious. Right. Yeah. The only way to do is to fight it as uh, best we can by continually pointing out the sanctions and what it does to people in other countries. And visiting and bringing our stories back just as we've done with this program exactly. tonight. Right? Exactly. Yes. 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 Yeah. yeah. So, so anything that we should say in our closing minutes, anything that any of you would like to particularly emphasize or re-emphasize? I would like to 
to suggest to people to uh, go out with signs, uh, U.S. hands off Nicaragua, uh, because many people do not know, do not understand when everybody is saying something is look bad in Nicaragua, it's very difficult for us to, to, to counter it. But we need to go out, we need to continue to, to spread the, the, the truth and, and warn uh, our fellow Americans that this escalation is, is unjustified and is a continuation of 200 years of uh, imperial policy with regard to Nicaragua. Thank you very much, Terry, for, for organizing this uh, uh, program. It's nice to, to meet you, Michelle, and nice to see you again, Stan. So thank you. Thank you, all of you. I should, uh, so let me just tell the audience, you've been listening to Yoav Alanevsky of Mass Peace Action, Stan Smith of Chicago Albo Solidarity, and Michelle Mujanato of PACOA, and all of us have been to Nicaragua, Yoav and Stan in a pre-election day delegation on October, and Michelle and I were both here on the ground in Managua on election day. So yes, I would agree we're gonna to have to do more programs like this, more conversation, more education, more lobbying, and it's gonna be a full court counter narrative game that we're gonna um, that we're gonna to have to, you know, to play at this point. You know, I, I just wanna say in closing, I just about about sanctions, about economic warfare and the silence of them and how it makes them, you know particularly insidious isn't it when i was here in april I, I had the privilege of um of interviewing president daniel ortega and we were talking about sanctions economic warfare various forms of warfare but that particular delegation earlier this year was to study uh, this this early sanctions regime on nicaragua that has since now well, since today, since the president signed the Renaissance Act, it's going to be a very, very strong um, economic um, strangling of the country. But I had I had shared that I thought sanctions were so insidious because of their silence and and their invisibility to people living in the United States. And he he said something very interesting to me in response to that. He said, "You know, in 1933, when Sandino uh, got the United States Marines." out of the country, out of Nicaragua, out of their occupation of Nicaragua, he expressed that it was a, you know, they were gone and the benefits of that, but that now they, at that point with them out of the country, they would become more dangerous because their actions would go unseen. And so, um, you know, it's that, that, that makes it so much more insidious and that is gonna make our work so much more important. And so much more important to come here, perhaps more frequently, and bring uh, and bring our personal experiences and our stories home. So, so thank you, everyone. I want I'm, I'm just love working with all of you and speaking with all of you. It's just such an honor and a privilege to know all of you. I want to just remind our audience that you've been watching what the F is going on in Latin America and the Caribbean, Code Pink's weekly YouTube program. We broadcast live um, every Wednesday, 4.30 p.m. Pacific, 7.30 p.m. Eastern. Uh, the program can also be found now on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. 
Also, please be sure to catch Code Pink Radio on Thursday mornings, 11 a.m. Eastern, broadcasting simultaneously on WBAI New York City, WPFW out of Washington, D.C. Tomorrow, I'm happy to say, is, uh, is the Code Pink's Latin America team rotation on Code Pink Radio, and half of the hour-long program will be dedicated to yesterday's, which was yesterday being Tuesday's, uh, international uh, delegation press conference that was held uh, here in, in Managua. Um, so uh, please tune into that. There's uh, 170 international delegates were here and, um, and many uh, with many different organizations, many different countries. And so a lot of different voices uh, will be on uh, the radio program tomorrow morning. So so thank you to Mass Peace Action, Friends of Latin America and Task Force on the Americas for being uh, broadcast partners. And did you want to say something, Stan, before we No, close? I just wanted to thank you for your exemplary work. Oh, thank you, Terry. <laughs> oh, no. It's, it's, yes. thank, thank you so much. I, I, I appreciated it. But, uh, you know, this, is, uh, this takes a community of people. This takes a community of people and we need to, you know, to, to stay connected and to keep growing our work among as many people as possible. So, so I, I appreciate all of you very much and our, and our audience too. So, so, okay, everyone, we will, uh, we'll see you next Wednesday. Thanks again. Thank you everybody for watching.